0: everything by prayer at thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. But the key to understanding this actually lies in verse 1. In verse 1 we receive a command uh, to stand firm in the Lord. And this picture of standing firm is really what Paul expands on throughout, actually throughout the rest of this chapter but particularly in the first nine verses. What does that look like for a Christian to stand firm? We get this picture, and actually in in Psalm uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at a couple times today. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, lets us know that the righteous will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. So we have this picture of the righteous one being like a tree that can't be moved. It's firmly planted. There's that word again. We are to stand firm. And not only is it firmly planted just in some random place, but it's by streams of water. And so it's getting nourishment. And that nourishment allows it to yield fruit in its season. That the things that are supposed to be developed in this tree, are developed at the time that it's supposed to be developed. And this is really important for us as as, uh, believers to look at. And so with this image in mind, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and we're going to look at what it looks like to be a Christian that stands firm, that is spiritually mature, spiritually stable, that is immovable no matter what's going on around it. So first, let's approach the throne. Our Father and God, we just want to, again, thank you for your word, that it can give us hope, that it brings life and encouragement. We pray, God, that you would move our hearts, that we can obey the commands that are found here, God. We pray that not only would we be able to obey them, but that we would be able to encourage others to do the same. So we pray that you use us for your glory, and I pray right now, that you would speak to us, Lord. Give us what we need in this hour. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So, Paul lists five, well, some will say six ways uh, that we can stand firm. Starting in verse 2, verses 2 and 3. The first thing he says is to live in harmony with other believers. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So the first thing he says is if you're going to stand firm as a believer, no matter what's going on around you, the first thing that you have to do is live in harmony with other believers. Now, he says that these two women shared his struggle in the cause of the gospel. And then he said them and others find their names in a book of life. He's talking about believers. He's talking about strong believers who worked alongside of him in the struggle to bring the gospel to many and then probably even to minister to those who came to faith in Christ. But there is a problem. Something happened and they're not getting along. And the issue is so big. The issue was so dramatic that it got back to Paul. These believers who fought alongside Paul for the sake of the gospel now aren't getting along. So much so that it gets back to Paul, who's in another country right now. And he says, he calls them each separately and says, I urge you, and I urge you to come together. And then he calls his true companion, who most think is one of the elders in the church, and says, you need to step in and make sure that they restore fellowship. So we see how important it is to Paul That before we talk about anything else about standing firm, you need to have a right relationship with each other. And it is so opposite of what the world's reaction is, especially in a time like this. Usually the world reacts to uncertainty with angry attacks or blaming others or trying to take advantage of others. And even at this time now with uh, the coronavirus spreading, and all of the things happening that we have to do to prevent the spread, we see these things. We see people who are throwing angry attacks at each other. We see, if you go on Facebook, any other social media, every other post is some sarcastic meme about people who are trying to be prepared and how they're overreacting, or they're being hypocrites because they're not worried about the flu, or they're taking toilet tissue even though the, the symptoms don't involve anything uh, with the gastric system. We, we We see all these things coming at it, and that's not what should be true of us. As believers, we should not be having angry attacks toward people no matter what they're thinking. And even if they did something to us, and we'll look at that in a minute, but Paul says no matter what the issue is, you need to live in harmony with each other. And notice what he says, live in harmony in the Lord. That's very important. This Love and harmony must come from our hearts. This isn't just I'm going to avoid that person. or You know what? We don't work well together so I just will never work with them. That's not what the Bible is calling for. That's not what Paul is saying that a Christian should do when they want to be mature and want to stand firm. He said this needs to come from your heart. This needs to be in the Lord. It's not just saying I'll keep my comments to myself or I'll share them with other people that I, that I know won't get back to them. This is actually, in our hearts, resigning ourselves and, and re- start resolving ourselves to going after this person in love. We have the love of God inside of us that we can love each other. Jesus said, that's the way people know will know my disciples by your love for each other. So the first thing is to live in harmony with other believers and to pursue this. The second thing he says is to always be joyful. Always be joyful. Verse 4 says rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. And he says again as if that's the first time he said it. As if he said it there in verse 4 and said, okay, I'm going to repeat myself here. But if you go back to chapter 3 verse 1, he says it there. And in chapter 3 verse 1, he says, I don't mind repeating myself. Back in chapter 3, he said, I don't care about repeating myself to tell you to have joy. It's not a big deal for me. And it's a safeguard for you. So he comes again in verse four and says, in, "In chapter four it says, "I want you to stand firm. Well, what do I have to do this? How do I stand firm, Paul? You don't know what's all going on around me. Well the first thing is get along with each other. and you pursue that. You pursue living in harmony, being able to work together, to think together. Then you're always joyful. And this rejoicing is a command. And so what do we call it when we have a command and we don't follow that command? Now I can't see you, but hopefully everybody's typing in the word sin. So if you're not rejoicing, you are in sin. Now, joy has many meanings even in the word of God. So we need to make a distinction here. There is a a feeling of joy which is not what's being commanded. Feelings or our emotions are usually a reaction. And so you don't go to someone in mourning and say, you should be showing joy. You should be feeling joy that your loved one has passed away. You should be feeling joy that this dreadful thing has happened. That's not what the Bible is saying. Actually in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it says that the time of mourning it's better than a time of celebration. So it's not talking about this feeling of joy, but it's talking about an action. Rejoicing. We're commanded to rejoice. No matter what the feeling is, we are commanded to rejoice. How can we rejoice? Well, look at what it says. What are we rejoicing in? Rejoice in the Lord. Not Rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in your bank account. Or rejoice in the fact that you can work from home for the next couple of weeks. You're rejoicing in the Lord. Notice I didn't mention anything about kids being home. Because I don't think any parents are rejoicing about that right now. But the Bible calls us to rejoice in the Lord. And that's what's key. We're not rejoicing in the situation. We're rejoicing in spite of it because we have a God that's bigger than the situation. And to kind of see this play out in uh, Matthew chapter 5, in the sections normally called the Beatitudes, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now he calls them blessed, but what does he tell them to do in verse 12? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. So he says when you are insulted and persecuted and people will say evil, false things about you, you and your response should be to rejoice. And just like back in our text in Ephesians 4, we are to rejoice no matter what's going on around us. Because we're rejoicing in the Lord. You know, my, my wife the other day shared with me that some clever Christians have decided to take, you know, a coronavirus is... is being called COVID-19, C-O-V-I-D, they decided to take that to mean Christ over viruses and infectious diseases. So I guess we should make some t-shirt or something like that about COVID and how, you know, kind of like Y2K was yield to the king. You know, do something like that. But this is the attitude that we have to have. While being wise and taking precaution, we have to remember who's on the throne. And we rejoice because we are in the Lord. And this isn't for everybody. If anybody's listening to this or watching this and you don't know the Lord, you don't know. You don't rejoice. You have nothing to rejoice in except maybe the fact that you're hearing this and you can still come to faith in Christ. You still have time. But those of you who are in the Lord, who are in Christ, not only can we rejoice, but we're commanded to rejoice. So the first thing you want to do is you, uh, live in harmony with other believers. The second thing is to always be joyful. Always be rejoicing. The third thing, and I'm moving through these quickly because I want to focus on the fourth one. Uh, cultivate a gentle spirit. In verse 5, in Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, uh, the first part of it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now the word translated gentle here is epe ekes, and it's it's very difficult one to translate. Now It's not just, I mean, I'm not great at translating Greek, but it's difficult even for the scholars. So much so, I looked at five different Bible translations and got five different words in English for this. Uh, One said translates it to NASB, a gentle spirit. Another says reasonableness. Another says moderation. One says graciousness and another said gracious spirit. But from those five, you, you kind of get the idea. There's it's a few things that are kind of packed into this, this word. One is uh, the idea of being reasonable when uh, someone is dealing with you or requesting something from you. So this idea that, that you're easy to work with. And again, what are we talking about? Being able to stand firm no matter what's going on around you. And what does Paul say? You have to be easy to work with. I mean, it doesn't seem like it would fit. You would just think he would paint everything as a soldier like he did in Ephesians chapter 6 when he said put on the armor of God against to fight against spiritual attacks. But here, he tells us a cultivated gentle spirit. So be easy to work with. Be someone that it's a pleasure to work with, to request something of, and, and, and there's a selflessness that comes from this that when you ask something of me, my first response isn't what do I have to lose, what am I giving up and that's the attitude, that's this, this, the, this beauty, this, this sweetness behind this uh, type of person it also carries the idea of being considerate of others to the point of waiving your own rights in this country we are very, very, very high on the idea of rights and exercising our rights. and There are many things that you have the legal right to do but that are ungodly. There are many things that where you may actually be right in a situation but you should still humble yourself to the point that you accept less than what you think you're owed or think that you're due. So there are times where you may have a right to claim something. And it could be something small. You know, I was in the nursery last week. One of the kids was, was, kept playing with a, with a toy. Whenever he would play with any type of toy, there was another kid younger that would come and try to take it. And this child, who was two years old, just kind of sat back and let them. I want to play with this right now. And I grabbed it first, so I technically have a right to it. But this person wants it, and I'll just, I'll just let them have it. Okay, go ahead. Take the toy, you play with it for three seconds, slobber on it, and you're done. And then I move to a new one, and then you come and slobber on that one. And a two-year-old gave us a great example of what it means to have this gentle spirit, to consider others more than ourselves, which is also another command of Scripture. So there are many of us out there who are doing things simply because we have the right to do it, not because they're the most godly way to handle a situation. And we must step back and realize we're not doing what God commands. I am not being the type of person who can stand firm when something happens. It's not just about catastrophes going on around us, but when something comes against us personally, are we going to revert to anger? and frustration, or discouragement, or are we going to be godly in those times? That's also what it means to stand firm. Also, we have to be gracious to those who have wronged us. Even when when someone now owes us something because they have wronged us, many times we can look at the grace and mercy of God. And we can decide that just because someone deserves something, so to speak, because they did something to us, it doesn't put us in a place to now exercise that judgment. We are sinners, and we sinned against God in ways that we can't even fathom. We can't imagine how horrible our sin is to a perfect, holy, good, just, righteous God. And that God still gave us mercy and then we saw Christ come down and bear the penalty, bear the wrath of our sin so that we can be with God now. And now we want to hold petty grudges against other people. And so Paul says, don't, don't be that type of person. Don't do that. And we have the gentleness of Christ. We have the grace and mercy of God to, to, to look at as examples So first, we live in harmony with other believers if we want to stand firm. We should always be joyful. Third thing is we should cultivate a gentle spirit. Now, fourth, he says don't be anxious. If you want to be able to stand firm in the Lord, don't be anxious. Look at the end of uh, verse 5, going into verse 6. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I have to say, I kind of wish that the division of the verses was a little different here, so that the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing, we're together. Um, But that was just a a choice someone made. Um, And to be honest, it fits in both places. Matter of fact, pretty much every command that we have, the Lord is near, can be attached to it and it would make sense. And this idea of nearness is talking about the Lord actually physically being near to us. It's not the Lord is near because it's coming, it's, it's happening soon. This is the Lord is near to you. In John 15, he says, abide in me as I abide in you. We have this whole picture of a, of a, of a vine and branches and um, all over the Bible we get this this picture of, of calm and ease because the Lord is near to us. Just one, Psalm 119, 151, it says, You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. So here we see the Lord is near to us. And what does that mean? Everything his word says is true. And we kind of, we know that, right? We say that. Yeah, we know the Bible is true. Right, great, thanks. I woke up early and tuned in to hear the Bible is true. So, but what he is talking about here, what, what is being brought out is everything about God's character, his strength, his power, his wisdom, his goodness, his love towards his children. The promises are all true. And he is trustworthy. And we should take comfort in that. Why? Because we have a God that not only is powerful enough but and 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 is willing but he is able, and so we don't have a God that just sits there and he he doesn't care what happens on this earth, he cares greatly, he cares about each one of us, and that should give us comfort to know that He cares about us and he's powerful to step into our situation and 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 gives us grace to handle it. Even if he doesn't change the situation for us, we get grace to handle it. And we know we can because we are in Christ. Psalm chapter 1, again, uh, uh, verse 2, the psalm says that the believer's delight is in the law of the Lord. And it says, and in his law he meditates day and night. So he doesn't meditate on news. He isn't on the CDC's website 10 times a day trying to get the latest update. He isn't reading everything he can get his hands on about uh, the coronavirus. It, it's, it's good to be wise, but the meditation is on the law of the Lord because he loves it. And we are to meditate on it day and night. And we'll see that this comes up again uh, a few verses down, This this concept. of of meditating and thinking on the things of God. So another thing we're to do here, um, part of not being anxious, is to, uh, we pray with transparency. So the first is just to remember that the Lord is near. The second part of not being anxious is to pray with transparency. So we are to, in everything, let our requests be made known to God. And if you're a part of the uh, top-ranked home group, um, the, the Somerset home group, if you're a part of that, you know, we have been going, you know, we've been going through prayer, and almost every time we have a discussion about prayer, we talk about transparency and praying everything that's in your heart to God. Every fear, every anxious thought, every frustration, anything that we have that we feel. Every bit of anger that we have. Every question. Every doubt that we feel. We are to be praying these things to God. There's two things that he mentions in prayer. Well, three. but um, So the first two he says we offer, and in the Greek the, the uh, definite article was there. So we offer the prayer and the supplication. So the prayer is just a prayer for general general prayer for blessing. You know you're asking God to come into a situation or you're asking for God's wisdom. And the supplication is to ask for deliverance from or to avoid altogether a negative situation. That's usually what the supplication is for. You know we can ask for blessing in that as well, but the supplication is more direct. And and in it the the word for used for supplication actually has the idea of begging. So it usually has this picture of someone who's in distress begging God to come into a situation, begging God for deliverance or begging God to hold off something from happening. In Ephesians 6 at the end of this great discourse about spiritual warfare and the armor of God um, Paul says in 6.18 With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And the word there, petition, is the same word uh, that's used for supplication. And it's this idea of, again, begging. So we see this thing here. Prayer and supplication. Prayer and petition. And in all these prayers, what should they have in it? Thanksgiving. We are to approach God in every prayer with thanksgiving. No matter what we are praying about. In First Thessalonians 5.18 it says, In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the promise here is that when we bring everything to the Lord in prayer that we will experience God's peace. Now this is different than The idea of having peace with God, uh, that really talks about us being God's enemies and being able to now sit with him as friends and sons and daughters and have peace with him. There's peace between us and God now when there wasn't before, when we had God's wrath over us. But here he's talking about a peace that fills us. We can experience God's peace. And what does he say about this peace? He said it surpasses all comprehension. It goes beyond any human logic. You can't convince someone enough to have this type of peace. I can't go to you and give you enough data to tell you there's something great coming. I can't give you enough data to say you don't have to worry. This peace comes from God and it surpasses all human logic and understanding. We don't even know how we can have peace. We look back at situations and say, I don't know how I made it through that without having a nervous breakdown. I don't know how I was able to sustain myself. You weren't. God sustained you with this peace that you can't even understand. We should be meditating on God's word and praying about everything with thanksgiving. And when we do that, our anxiety will be replaced with peace. It's not peace alongside the anxiety. The anxiety will go. Because he says, what, this peace will keep watch over our hearts, right? It'll guard our hearts and minds so that the fear and anxiety can't come back. It gets kicked out, and then God puts guards up in front of our heart, and it can't return as long as we are doing these things. But the moment we start focusing on everything around us and we forget about God and we forget about His promises and we forget about His goodness, then the anxiety returns. And then we have to go through all of this again. Or when sin enters our life and we're not in fellowship with God, then the anxiety and the fear and the doubt and the mistrust comes back. And then the angry thoughts come back. And then we start questioning ourselves and then we start saying we can't cope. We can't make it. Then we start looking for worldly ways to get around it, and worldly solutions to our spiritual problems. So, in order for us to stand firm, we need to live in harmony with other believers. We need to be rejoicing at all times, no matter what our emotions say. We need to cultivate a gentle spirit. And we need to not be anxious by remembering the Lord is near and by praying to God with transparency. And then the last thing is that we need to meditate on the things of God. Because if we don't, those feelings will come right back. So in verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I wish I had a whole sermon just to unpack each one of these things. Um, But I don't. So let's look through what he wants us to think about. What are the things that we should keep in our minds that will help us to stand firm? To help us to be stable. To help us to be immovable. Whatever is true. Well, John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So right there, what do I meditate on? You meditate on the word of God. You think about the word of God. And I wish I had a sermon for this. When we come to the word of God, whether it's hearing it preached, reading it, or in any other form, having it explained to us, we are to meditate on that. Don't hear a sermon from your, your local church, from your pulpit, and then run and say, now, what Greg told you about John MacArthur speaking today may be a little different because it's something very specific, but don't run and say, now I've got to listen to John MacArthur, and then every day this week I'm going to put on five different podcasts, and let me hear what Al Moeller has to say in a briefing about this, and let me watch Wretched Radio and watch some guy walk around in a furnished room that nobody sits in, and, and let me do all of these things and, and, and absorb this and all the podcasts that I have and then all the blog posts, and we do that and we don't meditate. No. Those things are good resources, they're nice, but meditate on the word of God so that it can actually come into our hearts. What does it say in in, in Psalm 119? uh, I believe it's 105. Your word have I hid in my heart. You can't hide something in your heart as soon as you hear it, you're on to the next thing to hear. Hiding in your heart takes time. And why did he hide in his heart that he wouldn't sin against the Lord? So we meditate on the word of God, we think about it, we wonder, we ask questions about it, we pray about it, we read about it, we talk to people about it until we really understand it to the point that it's in us and it's impacting our desires and even our reactions. Whatever is honorable. Now this really means worthy of respect or dignified. So things that are sacred and godly, not things that are base and and, and, profane, things that are are low as far as their value to us. He said, think about what is right. What conforms to God's standards? Think about those things. And I think this brings a lot of wisdom to the idea of consuming sin for entertainment. And, and the question of if I'm not sinning and I'm not being affected by it, well, the Bible tells us what to med- meditate on what to think about Constantly, what to have going in our minds if we want to stand firm. And so, I'm not saying no one can ever watch, you know, in whatever. I'm not here to judge all the things you watch and don't watch uh, or listen to or anything else. But keep this in mind is the bulk of your thoughts, your meditation, on these types of things? Or is it on things that are frivolous and just waste the time and will just burn away? They're like chaff, they just blow away in the wind. Whatever is pure. So whatever is not mixed with impurity. Whatever is undefiled. That's what you should be thinking about if you want to stand firm. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is kind or whatever promotes peace. Whatever is of good repute. The things that are spoken well of or thought well of. Now we don't we don't just take the world's standards but if and we're not talking about, you know, spiritually righteous things like speaking out against sin, and the world thinks that's evil. But if the world thinks that something is evil, we typically should stay away from it unless we're commanded by Scripture to do it. You know, there are things that the world says is wrong, and Christians want to do. Just like, and I think Dave mentioned in his Sunday school, just like in 1 Corinthians 5, when the man was uh, sleeping with his his uh, stepmother, and they didn't want to kick him out of the church. And Paul even says, this is something that even the unbelievers won't speak about. It's so evil. And those in the church were doing it and were were, were proud of themselves that they were allowing it. So Paul sums up this list with two words. Whatever is excellent, whatever is, is worthy of praise. And that's what we should be meditating on. That's what we should be thinking about. And meditating on these will cause us to have a life that pleases God in our thoughts, emotions, reactions, speech, and ultimately our behavior. And then in verse 9, he says, which is kind of a sixth thing, which I would just say obedience to to God. But I'm not treating it as a sixth thing. You can keep your list at five. I hate lists that have uh, even numbers. This is so wrong. So uh, keep it at 5. Just remember verse 9 talks about our obedience. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. So how do you get the peace of God? It's not just right thinking. That's, That's not good enough. But it must lead to right living. We can't just be hearers of the words, but we have to be doers of the words as well, right? We can't just hear what God says. We can't just know it. But it has to be part of our lives. It has to be what we live out. It has to be the way that we react to things. If um, The last thing he says here uh, is the God of peace will be with you. Now why is that important? He's showing us how to drive away how to keep away anxiety during this whole time. So if we cultivate godly characteristics, listen, listen to this promise. If we cultivate godly characteristics with the help of the Spirit and the direction of the Word of God, right? We, we cultivate godly thinking and godly living our hearts and minds, and these aren't separate, this just talks about all, the totality of us, who we are. will be guarded by the peace of God and the God of peace. That sounds real deep. That just sounds like like Paul was just, like, I feel like Paul was preaching in Newark somewhere. The, our hearts and minds will be guarded by the peace of God and the God of peace. Anxiety, fear, doubt, worry can't stand in a situation like that. So this is how we can have comfort, calm, and confidence no matter what's going on around us. It's not by ignoring the things. It's not by saying, "Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. Who cares? It's not a big deal. Uh, And it's not by saying, we're panicking and worrying and I have to use every earthly measure in order to, to, to combat this thing. It's not that either. But it's trusting in the Lord and using the means he's given us around us, being wise, and then ultimately seeking to bless others as well with this. The God of peace And my prayer for all of us is that the God of peace will guard our hearts and minds as well. Uh, And I'll just show you how important uh, this thought is. Paul closed so many books with that, and we're actually going to close this with that. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, in Romans he says uh, 15.33 Now the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16.20 The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. 2 Corinthians 13.11 And the God of love and peace will be with you. Calvary, as we go through uh This time, as we go through any time in our lives, just remember we have promised that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds, and that the God of peace will be with us and If that doesn't dispel your anxiety, and I'm being serious, if that doesn't dispel your anxiety, then look into your heart and go to God in prayer, go through this these things. And make sure that you're doing each one, that you're living in harmony with other believers, that you don't have any sin between you and someone else that's keeping you from the Lord. Always be joyful. Cultivate a gentle spirit. Don't be anxious. Bring everything to God in prayer, transparent prayer, remembering he is near, and meditate on the things of God. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just want to thank you for your peace. Thank you, God, that we can know you as the God of peace. We thank you, God, that we can experience peace in our hearts when everyone and everything in the world around us is telling us that there will be calamity, that there will be distress. I pray, Lord, that you will help us cultivate the attitudes, the characteristics, the mindsets that are in your word so that we can be guarded by your peace. And I pray that you'll bless us all to stay connected to you and connected to each other, um, even as we're meeting virtually. And I pray that you will be glorified in this, in Christ's name. Amen.